around the world. Tonight's class is graciously dedicated by David and Ida Schattenstein in the loving memory of a young soul, Alta Shula's word love, struck down by a bus in Jerusalem, the daughter of Rabbi Yossi and Hindel word love, Tehei Nishmasa Tzruda the class is also dedicated by the Schattenstein, by the Schattensteins, in the loving memory of Rabbi Gavriel Noyach and his wife Rifki Holtzberg, struck down in the terror attacks of Mumbai last year and all of the Ketoshim of Mumbai, India. Tonight, we are going to explore a intriguing and enigmatic observation in the Talmud which deals with the different way in which men and women deal with having guests at their homes. And it's an observation in Talmud which naturally is misunderstood by many and sometimes can even get some people upset. And it all begins with a seemingly superfluous word, one extra word, in the Torah portion of Vayera. The beginning of Vayera tells the story of the three people who come to visit Avraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah at their tent. And when Abraham observes the three men walking by his tent, he runs out and he invites them to his tent, wants to offer them food and water and to relax under the tree, and extends his legendary generosity and loving hospitality towards them. Open up your curriculum right below the video to source number one. The Torah says in the beginning of Ayyeh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 6, Avram rushes to the tent to his wife, Sarah, and he tells her, Mary, swiftly prepare, prepare three sa'ah, which sa'ah is a measurement, three sa'ah of meal and fine flour. Lushi, knead the dough which you will make from the flour, vasi ugais, and bake cakes. What perturbed the Talmudic sages and all of the commentators is two words. Avram tells his wife, prepare kemach and soilus. Kemach is inferior flour. Soilus is fine flour. Kemach, which we translate as meal, is coarse flour. Soilus is much more refined flour. Did Abraham ask his wife to prepare kemach, inferior flour, or soilus, fine flour? Which one? Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, the most basic biblical commentator, gives us his interpretation in source number two in your curriculum right below the video, Zakh Rashi. Kemach, soilus. Soilus le'ugais, 
In English translation, Avram told her to prepare both meal and fine flour. The fine flour was for the cakes, and the meal was for the starch used by cooks to cover the pot and to draw out the scum, the dirt. So the kemach and the soilus were used for two different purposes. The fine flour he actually asked her to use for the cakes. And the meal, the inferior flour, is just to use, by the, is to use for the pot itself. The Talmud, the Gemara, asks the same question, but presents a different answer. Open up your curriculum to source number three, Zog the Gemara, Baba Metziah. Daf Pezayin Ahmed Aleph, tractate Baba Metziah 87a, so the Gemara quotes this verse and says, Ksiv Kemach Uksiv Silas. The Torah writes both the word Kemach and the word Silas, inferior flower and fine flower. Which one was it? Amir Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak explained, Mikan Shaha Isha, Tsara Einel Ba'archim Yoiser Min Ha'ish. From here we may derive that a woman is stingier than a man towards guests. The word tsara in Hebrew actually means narrow. Tsar is narrow. Tsara means a dis- distressed tsara's problems, which make a life more narrow and stressful. Stingy is also tsara. Tsar, tsara is stingier in the sense that a stingy person is narrow with his or her uh, money or, uh, or resources, possessions, and so forth. So the literal translation is a woman's eyes are more narrow towards the guests, towards guests than a man's eyes. Usual, the English translation is, a woman is stingier than a man towards guests. I am emphasizing the exact translation of the word because it's necessary for the continuation of the class. Now, first of all, what does this mean? What does it mean that a woman is stingier to guest more than men? Is it really, a, could you really make a general statement about men versus women? It depends on the man, it depends on the women. Some women, I was preparing the class, so I shared this observation in Talmud with my wife. So she tells me, she says, not my mother. My mother is extremely hospitable to her guests. Some men are very hospitable. Some women are very hospitable. Some men are inhospitable. And some women are inhospitable. Some people like guests. Some people don't like. Some enjoy. Some don't enjoy. The quality of selfishness has not been conferred upon women more than men. There are selfish women and there are selfish men. There are unselfish, very kind women and there are very kind men. So first of all, what does the Talmud mean? What does Rabbi Yitzchak mean? Making a statement that a woman is stingier than a man towards guests. That's number one. But before we get into that, let's understand, where does he prove it from? Avram says Kemach and he says Silas. From here we can derive that a woman is stingier towards guests. More than men. Where? From where can we derive it? Source number four. Rashi Ksav Yad Yashon. Rashi, the great commentator on the Bible and on the Talmud, 
His name was Rabbi Shloimo Yitzchak. His father's name was Rabbi Yitzchak. He lived in the 11th century in France. In Troy in France. Was also for a while studying in Germany in Vermeisen Worms. But primarily lived in France and he wrote his classical, timeless, most foundational and basic commentaries on the basic Jewish literature, on the Tanakh, on the Bible, and on the Talmud. On the Gemara. Rashi in the 11th century didn't type up his commentary. He wrote them. And he often wrote different versions. A lot of his commentary is found in different versions because he wrote, that was copied. He revised and that was copied in many manuscripts. He edited, sometimes once, twice, three times. So sometimes we have different versions of Rashi. Some are attributed to himself because he revised his texts, his manuscripts several times. And sometimes since there was no press, printing press, everything was copied in the handwriting. So it could be a mistake of a copier. Somebody who was copying the original manuscript or the copy of the original or the copy of the copy of the copy, etc. In the old handwriting, there's an old Ksav Yad of Rashi. And Rashi on this Gemara says... That the way the Talmud is explaining the verses, Avram said Kemach and Sarah said Silas, which means Avram comes running to the tent to his wife and he says, Sarah, we have guests. Please fast, prepare three sa'ah of Kemach, of coarse flour. Sarah says, No, Silas, I'm going to prepare fine flour. And then Avram continues, knead them and make them into cakes. So why did the Torah use two different words? Because there was an argument. Avram Avinu said, Kemach, unfine flour, inferior flour. And Sarah said, no, we're going to prepare Silas. We're going to take the best flour for the guests. This is, as I said, an old Ksavyad Yoshin and Rashi. Quoted in Haggadah, in the Haggadah known as Mycenaeism of Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva of Lisa. In his Agadah Mycenaeism, he quotes it. And this version is quoted in various sources among various commentators. In fact, it also seems consistent with the order of the Pasuk. Which word comes first? Kemach, then Silas. Who is speaking? Avram is speaking. So who would we suggest said the first word? Kemach. Avram Avinu. So Avram said to Sarah, prepare coarse flour. And then the Gemara says, Sarah said Silas. If this is the case, the whole Talmud doesn't make sense. Abraham told his wife to prepare, use coarse flour for the guests. His wife argued and said, no, we're going to use fine flour. And then from here we learn that a woman is stingier than a man towards guests. It's the other way around. From here we learn that a woman is more generous, more giving, more hospitable than her husband. Her husband wanted to use coarse flour, she wanted to use fine flour, and yet the Talmud says from here we learn a woman is stingier than a man towards guests. How do we understand? Now if you open up source number 5 in your curriculum, right under the video you have a PDF document, source number 5, we have Rashi's version in our Gemara today. What does Rashi say? He, Amra, Kemach, Silas? She said Kemach, and he said Silas. Sarah, Avram Avinu, comes into the tent, and he tells Sarah, Mari, Shloish Sim, prepare three sa'ah, 
And Sarah says, Kemach, should I prepare coarse flour? And Avram Avinu says, no, Silas, prepare fine flour. So we can understand the Talmud. Rabbi Yitzchak is saying, look, her initial thought was to prepare coarse flour. Because she was stingier towards the guest. She didn't want to use the best flour. And her husband said, no, let's use the best flour. That version, we can understand the proof according to this explanation, but according to the first version of Rashi. And as I said, many commentators, you have the Ksav Seifer, you have the Chida in Pesach Einayim, you have uh, the Ben Yehoyada, the Pardis Yosef brings, I'm quoting different commentators who bring this version, that Sarah said Silas, and Avraham said Kemach. According to this, this whole statement in the Talmud seems difficult to understand. So I want to share with you a lovely insight of the Baal Shem Tov. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov was the founder of Hasidism, of the Hasidic movement of Hasidus. Born in 1698, passed away in 1760. And in one of the volumes which compiles his teachings, we have an explanation presented by the Baal Shem Tov. It's in the book Keser Shem Tov, Simen Tov Yudalad, chapter 414. And the Baal Shem Tov answers the question by presenting a grand metaphor, a story. And it's a story about a lion who once assembled all of his cubs, its cubs. And the lion tells his young children growing up, I want you to know who you are. You are the mightiest, strongest creatures in the world. And all of the creatures in the world ought to be fearful of you. And so the Baal Shem Tov says one day the young cubs were traveling the world. They were walking around with full confidence and inner security and a sense of peace knowing that their father told them that they need to fear no one and everyone ought to fear them. And in their travels and their journeys they one day arrive at a destroyed mansion. And they enter into the destroyed mansion, and the mansion has an impressive art gallery with many different pieces of art and portraits. And on one wall, suddenly, the young cubs see a portrait of the scene where Shimshon Hagiber, Samson, confronts and fights a lion and actually defeats and kills the lion. That story recorded in Tanakh and Sefer Shoift in the book of Judges. In the legendary stories of Shimshon, Samson's strength. When the cubs be- saw this portrait, they began trembling. Dread and fear overtook them and they ran. And they ran as fast as they can to their father, to the lion. And they come into, and with fear in their eyes, they say, Tata, Father, you promised us, you told us, that we are the strongest creatures in the world, and here we came to this mansion, and what do we see? We see a portrait of a man 
confronting the lion, destroying the lion, defeating the lion, and tearing the lion to pieces like we can tear the goat to pieces. What happened? And we were frightened when we saw this scene. So their father tells them, Children, Kindalach, you got it all wrong. The very fact that you observed that portrait of this man fighting the lion demonstrates the truth of my words. Why do you think they made a picture of it? Why do you think it's a piece of art? You know why? Because it was a unique phenomenon. It was a supernatural event that there was one man in history who was so mighty that he can confront and kill the lion. And since it was such a unique and novel event, therefore, they drew a painting of it. Therefore, the image of it, the portrait of it is hanging on the wall because it is so unusual. I guess... Uh, Parenthetically, we can add that there is one more story in the Tanakh about Benayahu ben Yoyada. Benayahu ben Yoyada strikes down the lion. But you know the Gemara in Brachis, which explains two interpretations, what it means actually. He went to the mikveh, he went into the pit, he went into the mikveh, he had to break the ice. The mikveh was ice, he had to break the ice and enter into the ritual bath, the spiritual ritual bath, the mikveh, or another interpretation that he learned, he learned the hardest of all of the books, the hardest of all of the Talmudic Midrashim, the commentary on Vayikra, and he learned it in a cold day. Back to our story. So the father tells the cubs, the fact that it is a portrait means that it's so unnatural. Because under natural circumstances, you fear nobody. Everyone fears you. Says the Baal Shem Tev, this is the meaning of the Gemara Bab Metziah. Suddenly, the Chumash describes an argument between Avraham and Sarah about a seemingly very random issue. Abraham is inviting the guests into his home. He comes to his wife and he says, Sarah, prepare kemach, use coarse inferior flour for the guests. Sarah argues with him and says, no, Silas, I'm going to use the choiciest flour, the fine flour. Asks the Baal why is the Torah reporting it? Is it really necessary to record about this conversation that Abraham had with his wife, Sarah? Ah, it's like the portrait of Samson the lion. It was unique. It was special. It was not a natural phenomenon that the husband says, give them the coarse flower. And the wife says, give them the best flower. The Torah says it to demonstrate that there was something special, extraordinary about Sarah. Mikam, the Gemara says, so from here we can derive that everyone but Sarah... Under normal circumstances, under ordinary conditions, usually the woman has an opposite approach towards guests. It's interesting, there is a book, Mekar Bracha, a commentary on Chumash that was authored by the same author of Torah Tmima, Rabbi Baruch Halevi Epstein, Rabbi Baruch Epstein. 
who lived in the early 20th century, the late 1800s, the early 1900s, and he asks the same question, and he brings the same answer, but he attributes it to himself. He says, I thought of an answer, I thought of an answer based on this agoda, based on this legend and story about the lion and the cubs, and the, the portrait of, of Samson, of Shimshon Agibur, and so forth. But essentially, its source is from the Baal Shem Tov. Now, let's go to step two, phase two. What does it actually mean? What does Rabbi Yitzchak mean in the Talmud when he says, the woman is less generous, less hospitable to guests than the man? Many people, as I began the class, have a very difficult time with this statement in the Talmud. And they ask the right question. What do you mean? There are women who work very hard to prepare for guests, to invite guests. They're extremely kind, hospitable, generous, giving, just as there are men who are. How do you make such a statement? Now, some people who um, relate to Talmudic observations and statements, I would say, with superficiality. Read such a statement and you say, you see how the rabbis viewed women. You see how the Talmud regards women. To make such an insensitive statement about women's relationship with guests. That is a very superficial observation. The same rabbis in the Talmud who say, a woman is far more intelligent and insightful than a man. The Talmudic sages were articulating deep truths about the mental, psychological, emotional, biological, and spiritual makeup of men and of women. And we ought to study and reflect on their observations and statements, pierce through the outer layer and explore what is the energy, what is the message being conveyed here. I want to present this evening six explanations. There are more. But tonight we explore six explanations on the statement of Rabbi Yitzchak. The first presented by the Ben Yehoyada in his commentary on Baba Metziah. The Ben Yehoyadeh was authored by Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim, the great rabbi of Baghdad, in Iraq, known as the Ben Ishchai. And in his commentary, Ben Yehoyadeh, he suggests that a woman naturally loves very much to communicate with her husband. She wants to spend time schmoozing, talking, re-experiencing um, re what happened during the day. She wants him to talk to her. She likes talking to him. That's her nature. And therefore, when guests come, it's hard for her. It's difficult for her. She wants the time with her husband to talk, to schmooze, to connect, to converse about things, to rehash the emotions, the relationships, the experiences of life. It's sometimes hard for her. Where men, it's often easier for them. Because even when there's no guest, <laughs> as you know, they're sometimes totally not interested in, uh, in schmoozing, in talking. 
What was, was. What happened at the office happened. It was stressful, and I'm not interested in talking about it. Often the man comes home, just wants to relate. Doesn't want to talk about it. The woman wants to talk, wants to connect. It's her way of building the relationship. That's the interpretation given by the Ben Yehayad. I saw another interpretation given. And quite a straightforward and simple one. A woman often works very hard to prepare for guests. There's the cooking and the baking and the cleaning and preparing the foods and setting up the dishes and setting the table and so on and so forth. And sometimes it's very difficult and often a husband doesn't help and doesn't even appreciate and doesn't give her the respect and the attention she deserves. And then when the guest comes... He gives the guest undivided attention and affection. And it's sometimes very difficult for the wife to have guests. Because often in the home, she prepares and works so hard. And it's hard for her. And sometimes she's jealous of the guest. And sometimes the husband really behaves in a way that he should not behave. He doesn't help. He doesn't show appreciation. He doesn't appreciate the hard labor and work his wife is enduring to prepare for the guests, and it becomes very difficult for her. There is another explanation that's given. And this has to do with another difference that we often see between men and women. Women are very meticulous, or many women are very meticulous about the aesthetics of a home what the table looks like, what the food looks like, how many courses, how many dishes, how many portions, the type of food, the colorfulness of the food, the diversity of the food. Some men or men are often clueless or careless. So sometimes for a woman, it's much more difficult to have guests. It's a much more stressful experience. Some men don't understand this. Because they don't need to just take out some food, we'll take from the store, we'll take from here, we'll take from there. For women, it's often extremely important to impress the guests. The guests should feel extremely comfortable and nourished and nurtured with gourmet food. And I'm not getting into here who's right or who's wrong. You need some type of healthy balance and equilibrium, obviously. Because sometimes people get so stressed out about guests to a point which is simply unfair to them and unfair to their husband and unfair to their children and unfair to the household and unfair to the guests too because they can't feel comfortable. But that's a separate discussion. People have to uh, be a little introspective and sometimes see if uh, we're not overly sensitive and mashuga about it. But in any case, it's harder for her with the guests. Her preparations... What she needs to get the house ready for guests is far greater than what he needs. So therefore it's more difficult for her. And then there is another interpretation. Women, the Kabbalah explains this in various places, and this is a truth articulated in Judaism in different ways, in different fashions, a woman naturally is more private. She's a more intimate creature. And therefore, having guests which intrudes into the privacy and intimacy of the home is less natural for the woman. 
This doesn't mean the woman doesn't love it, cherish it, appreciate it, enjoy it, and work very hard for it. But what it does mean is that the true, one of the great strengths of the woman is to create intimacy in a home. That the home is a safe, protected, and nurtured environment. A guest breaches through that sense of intimacy. It's an intrusion into the sacred, private oasis of the home. A man who's much more projective and out there, less of an intimate creature, less of an intimate type of person, is therefore more natural with it. For a woman, it could be more difficult, more painful. And then there is a fifth explanation. Namely, the relationship between a host or a hostess and guest is by definition a, what we call a makavdika one, a general one. A woman appreciates a more internal directed, deep and intimate relationship where a man often can appreciate a more general projected relationship a woman appreciates and nurtures more profound sensitive relationships because by nature a woman is a more internalized person and therefore her relationships are also more internalized and therefore when guests come where you need to entertain them and often project to them, it runs often against her grain, against her nature, being that she appreciates a more intimate relationship, which is difficult to experience, certainly initially with the guest, with the setup of guests. It's more of a masculine thing. And now we come to the ultimate explanation presented by the Mezritcher Magid. The Mezritcher Magid was a pupil of the Balshamtev. And in his, in the compilation of his teachings, on the portion of Balak, he gives the following explanation. And here I go back to the word Tzara. The Talmud says, "Mikan From here we learn that the woman is stingier than a man towards guests. But the word "sara" doesn't literally mean stingier; it means narrower. Says the Magid, the Mezritcha Magid, Rabbi Doiber of Mezritch, he gives the following interpretation. He says, "A woman's unique skill and talent is to narrow." the influence to narrow the energy towards the guest, directed towards the guest more than the man. Meaning, we're not only dealing here with a physical statement about a home. Guests are coming to your home for dinner, for lunch, for Shabbos, for holiday, for a party, for an event, for whatever it is. And for the woman it's more difficult than the man. We're dealing here with a deeper statement about the very concept of guest. What does a guest represent? 
a guest represents somebody who is not in his or her own home, not in his or her own natural habitat and domain, and they're coming to your house to receive food, nurture, inspiration from your table, from your home. So the oirach is the makabal, the recipient. The host and the hostess are the mashpiyim, are those who give. Whether it's food, attention, entertainment, fun, excitement, love towards the guest. And this represents every type of relationship between the giver and the taker. The uniqueness of the woman is that she makes sure to narrow down and direct the flow of energy towards the specific needs, disposition, personality of the guest. Where a man often likes and enjoys a more general projection. He speaks, he sings, he entertains, he schmoozes, he tells stories. And what's often important to him is, he had a great time. He bonded with the guest in a certain way. There was a good energy, there was a good atmosphere, there was good food, there was great ambience, great atmosphere. Everything was good. They say in Yiddish. A woman is more sensitive to the particular personality of the guest. It's not just about the general atmosphere and ambiance. The man is sitting at the head of the table and he's projecting and he's entertaining and he's engaging and he's schmoozing and he's introducing and he's networking. The woman by her nature, it's Sarayna Baruch. Her eyes narrow in the energy towards the guest. She's extremely sensitive to the fact that every single guest has his or her own needs, individual personality, and they're not just part of a collective experience, and thus takes the energy and tries to narrow it in towards the guest. So that the guest should receive what he or she needs as an individual. She tries to focus her attention towards the person as an individual person. Listen to them and speak to them on that level. And the Magad explains that this is true also on the spiritual level. The root of masculinity and femininity and godliness. Talmud says famously that kol bracha she'ein b'ashemo malchus eina bracha which means every blessing, a blessing which does not mention God's name and God's royalty is not a blessing. We say, Baruch Ata Hashem Eleikeinu Melech Blessed are you God, our Lord, the King of the world. If a blessing doesn't mention God's name and doesn't mention God's royalty, it doesn't constitute a blessing. Says the Mezritcha Magid, a blessing represents drawing down energy. Kol bracha, shame, but shame, malchus. Shame represents masculinity, malchus represents femininity. Shame represents God's transcendent name. Baruch atah Hashem melikenu. Melech represents God being a leader in the world, a king in the world. Ein melech belayam, there's no king without a people, a true leader must acquaint himself or herself, must accommodate the people, must acknowledge the presence of the people. What makes you a leader is your relationship with the people and their character. So therefore the Magid says, if a bracha doesn't have shame and malchus, 
a blessing lacks Shem Malchus. It's not a blessing. Why? Nobody can contain it. Nobody can take it. It must have the element of Malchus, femininity, royalty, leadership, which is the ability to It's the ability to narrow in the influence, what we call Tzimtzum, contract and limit the influence towards the guests. And this is true in every person's life as well. Sometimes a person projects, a person gives, a person influences, a person inspires. But you're not really focusing on what the recipient needs. When God creates the world, He does not only generate an infinite flow of energy and light and inspiration and vitality. That would be great. He would ex- he'll express himself. But the world can't take it. Because we have finite parameters, we have limited boundaries, and therefore God engages in a process we call in Kabbalistic literature, Tzimtzum, suspension of his infinity, withdrawal of his infinite light, creating a vacuum and an empty space where finiteness can emerge. In other words, God contracts and limits His infinity because He realizes if you want a relationship, it's not about projection of self, but it's also about suspension of self, creating space for the other. And these are the two components of masculinity and femininity and godliness. Shame and Malchus. Baruch Hashem and Melech One represents his ability to project infinitely, and one represents his ability to create space for otherness and build a very directed relationship tailored towards the personality and the needs of the other by limiting yourself and lending an ear and a heart towards the other to be able to absorb them. And generally speaking, this is one of the unique qualities of femininity versus masculinity. This, says the Magid, is then the meaning of the Talmud. On a spiritual level, the ability to be narrow and appreciate that which the guest actually requires. Have a wonderful evening.